This is Steve Kim. Welcome to the AC Podcast. On this podcast, we want to help you understand and speak the language of our culture and address questions being asked with intellectual honesty, gentleness, and respect. Hey, everybody. As you can probably tell from my voice, it's that time of the year. Now, if you've been listening to our podcast regularly for the last few years, you understand that uh, I am prone to getting laryngitis. Even though I held on for a couple of years without getting it, uh, it finally caught up to me this year. So rather than you suffer through my raspy voice, why don't we continue with part two of Dr. Ko's The Psychology of Unbelief. Here it is. But I want to spend the rest of the time, we have about 25 minutes, I want to spend it on apologetics for causes. And I just give it a name just because I've been around therapists. I've been teaching now at Rosemead School of Psychology for about 27 years, and, uh, but now I'm mostly at the seminary. So I've been around psychologists. By the way, I don't know if there are any psychologists here, but psychologists are really weird people. I'm a philosopher theologian, but I have learned a lot from them. And so I say this, apologetics, at least of the past, I think things are changing, have often paid too little attention to the area of causes. But unless these causes are addressed, unless they're brought into light and dealt with, I think the unbeliever who is moved by these causes will not think otherwise. They won't even be aware what's going on. I think many of the unbelievers that I've been around, they don't even know what's really driving them. And so as as a kind of therapeutic apologist, your task is to kind of help bring out their heart so they can see, ah, that's what's really going on. So we want to address ideas, but also causes. So number one, here's why I want to start with scripture. I want to start with what the scripture says about belief in God because I want to know how to understand the unbeliever's unbelief from the scripture. And so if you would, if you have the scriptures, I'd like you to turn to Romans chapter one. It's the very text that we discussed. I want to get clear on this. When I used to teach apologetics, this this is the bottom. This is where we start. And I'm going to say this. Number one here, the Bible asserts that all humans already know that God exists through natural revelation. Wow, that is a profound principle for apologetics. They already know that God exists. Now, I want to distinguish here in the notes natural theology from natural revelation. You got to make this distinction here. First, natural theology. What, What is natural theology? These are what we call arguments to establish the rationality of belief in God. Natural theology is when we give arguments like, for instance, the design argument. We're gonna say, look, look at all the design in the world. There must be a designer. And so we're gonna develop a complex argument for that. That's an argument for God's existence. Or we build Christian evidences. We talk about the resurrection, the historical evidence. That's building an argument. That's natural theology. That is not natural revelation. Natural revelation is something else. 
So B, what is this natural revelation? So natural theology is a good thing, but that's not what Paul's talking about here. So let me read these texts to get clear what Paul is doing. Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. So somehow the wrath of God is being picked up by humanity. Okay, how? Verse 19, because that which is known about God is evident within them. Wow, that which is known about God is evident within them? For God is making it evident to them. That is, God is making sure everybody knows that God exists. Well, how does that work? Well, here he tells us. And now notice, this is not an argument for God's existence. This is an experience that's taking place. People are having an experience where they know that God exists. God is making it evident to them and evident within them. How? Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen. Somehow, this nature, creation, everything, it somehow betokens in individuals God exists. Somehow it conditions our experience. Paul says it is unavoidable. Somehow the knowledge of God is being mediated through creation, not as an argument. God is actually making it evident and known in them, I'm here, I'm here. There's a creator, I'm powerful. It's being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Wow. And even though they knew God, they know God exists. This is really powerful for apologetics. They did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations. Their foolish heart was darkened. And so what did they do? Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for another kind of God. They create other kind of gods. Let me give you a definition, and you can just read it with me. Here's a definition of natural revelation. This is the bottom to me of apologetics. Natural revelation is a universal knowledge, it's everybody has it, or awareness of God. Now notice, natural revelation is an awareness of God's existence. It's not an argument. Paul's saying they already got it. They got it in experience. So natural revelation is a universal knowledge or awareness of God that is a given to their consciousness. It's a given. It's like when I turn and I look at that wall, I don't, I don't try to believe the wall is there. I turn and I look at that wall, and that wall is a given to my consciousness. That's the way God made me. I turn, whoosh, I see it. And God, Paul is saying here, that's what the knowledge of God is for all humans. That somehow God, through this creation, is trying to express and give people an experience, I'm here, I exist. In our experience, they know this. It's a given but it's an unusual one. The next piece, and it's mediated by our experience of nature. Meaning, it's not necessarily a direct object experience, like the burning bush, right? So here I'm Moses, and there's a theophany. There's the burning bush. When I turn to the bush, well, that's a direct object experience. Wow, there's the burning bush. It's a given to my consciousness. It's there. This is a little different. This is what we would call an indirect object of awareness. 
I, I don't focus on it exactly. It's something going on in the background. What Paul is saying here is that our whole existence of life is conditioned. It's conditioned by an awareness of God that God is making himself known through everything. It's part of our consciousness. You know, you know what it's like? It's kind of like when you go to the doctor's office. Do you, do you ever hear that music or music in the background? It's, it's just kind of playing there. And after a while, you don't even know it's there. It's conditioning the experience. In fact, somebody has to later ask you, by the way, were they playing music in the doctor's office? Uh, yeah, I guess they were. It's part of the background. It conditions all experiences. So natural revelation, according to Paul, the scriptures, it's a universal knowledge or awareness of God that's given to consciousness. It's mediated by our experience of nature, but notice what it is. It's typically repressed. It's repressed due to fear, guilt, and sin. Humans just don't want it. I don't want it. You know why? Because unfortunately, we're born in original sin, and so the awareness of God, you know what it does? It awakens guilt. And I don't want to deal with this. That's a cause. You got to think about it. Paul is saying there are causes going on in every human being who reject natural revelation. And the result is disbelief, the result is a distorted or some kind of distortion of theistic beliefs. They, they, they make up other gods, and that's what all the religions are. So here's the point. Wow, this is the bottom line for apologetics. You really gotta think about it. Everything that you're gonna learn today, we gotta start with kind of the scripture, and Paul, Paul looks at this. Conversion is never a matter of discovery or new knowledge. You gotta really think about that. Conversion or belief in God is never a matter of discovery or new knowledge. You will never give new knowledge that God exists. Like, oh my gosh, I never knew that. They already know that God exists. You're only, so you will never give a person anything more about the thatness of God. They already know that he exists. Now, you can alter their view of the whatness of God because many people because of the causes and things in their culture, they have very distorted views of what God is like. And so in number two, see, that's where we start. We, I start in apologetics already knowing that person knows that God exists. This person might be so vehement and putting out reasons or whatever's going on, they already know that God exists. You have to keep that in mind. You, you have... The greatest, you know, in cards, you have the greatest ace in the hole because you already know that he knows. And now the question is, what are you going to do? What's going to have to happen for this person to say, yeah, I know he exists. What's going to have to take place? And so what we say here, and this is a little bit of philosophy too, so we'll, we'll just bear with me in number two, all people have what we call a dispositional knowledge of God. They already know it. It's kind of like, see, here's, here's what dispositional knowledge is. A person has dispositional knowledge of something P. When given the proper stimulus, like, do you believe this? 
Does God exist? Does your left pinky finger exist? That person S will become consciously aware of knowing P. They've already known it. For instance, if somebody said, Dr. Coe, do you know that your right left, your right, your right pinky finger exists? Yes. Now, is that the first time I've ever known it exists? No. But it may be the first time I've ever thought about it consciously. Because knowledge of this little pinky existing is, is part of the background that conditions my life. I know my body exists. I know it. And now all I need is a stimulus. Does it exist? Ah, yes. That's going to be the same thing with the person and their knowledge of God. They already know God exists. Their life entirely conditions them that they know what's taking place. And now here's the issue. Paul says they don't like that knowledge. Because when natural revelation comes to the unbeliever, it comes to the unbeliever as this. God exists and you're guilty. That's what Romans 1 verse 32 says. And although they know the ordinance of God that those who practice all those sins are worthy of death, they know that already. They know that those who practice sins are worthy of death. They not only do it, but they give hearty approval. They already know. So when you now come into an apologetic encounter and you start talking about God... When you see defensiveness, you know what that, when you see defensiveness, don't get bugged. When you see closeness, don't get bugged. Because you know, you know what we're really talking about? We're talking about somebody now who knows God exists and you're just bringing it up again. And they're bugged by this. See, that's why the apologetic encounter is often so difficult. You're reminding them of what they don't want to be reminded of. Just think about this. That's what evangelism is to many people. You are reminding them of what they don't want to be reminded of. It's like me talking to my girls, you know, when they were eight years old. Did you clean up your room? Yes, dad. They know they're to clean up their room. And I'm reminding them of something they don't want to be reminded of. I mean, wouldn't it be cool if in every apologetic encounter that person would say, you said to them, you know, did you know that you know, Jesus is God in flesh? He died on the cross. You're going to hell, but you can believe. And if everyone just said, oh my gosh, thank you for that wisdom. Thank you, God. I was just thinking about that last night that I'm going to hell. You know, there are some people who are and God in his sovereignty will bring you to that encounter. But most of humanity is repressing all of this. There are causes going on in their life. They don't want to talk about it. And you, you're a bugabear because you're reminding him about what they don't want to be reminded of. They know God exists. This is part of the psychology of unbelief. So in C, why is there a problem of acknowledging God? And it's just clear to Paul, it's because of sin and guilt. Natural revelation for the unbeliever is Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. See, we've resolved our problem with God. And so we look at the heavens and go, wow, what a God. 
For the unbeliever, for when John Coe was 14 to 18 years old, natural revelation for me was, and John, you're going to be judged. There's a God, and you're not dealing with him. You're going to be judged. It's guilt. And so what does humanity do? Stuffs. It's called repression. They repress the truth in unrighteousness. This is what we call, as I say here in the notes, it's a psychological defense. This is what psychologists say a defense is. It's anything you use to keep away painful self-awareness. It's anything that you use to to keep away painful self-awareness. And for some, it will be rationalizations. For some, it will be, you know, they'll they'll read a book and they'll say, oh, yeah, the problem of evil, that sounds good. Or, well, look at all these Christians, they're hypocrites. Or, you know, I knew a Christian, I mean, I've heard people say, you know, I talk to them, why don't you believe in God? Well, you know, I knew a Christian once, it's like, so what? But for them, they're looking for something. Anything to keep away painful self-awareness. It is, you have to understand, it is painful for an unbeliever to think about God. I think you need to underline that in your head. It is painful for a non-believer to think about God because of guilt and judgment. They're aware of this. Paul says they know Romans 1.32, they know the ordinance of God that those who do those things are worthy of death. They know this. It's in conscience. So they repress it. This is another form of self-deception. Look at the next bullet. Here's what self-deception is. Some person S knows that P, whatever it is. Maybe it's he knows that he's neglecting his wife. She knows that she's abusing the children. Whatever this is. She knows she's not forgiving this person. So S knows that P, but knowledge of that is painful. That is, I don't want to think that I'm abusing my kids. I don't want to think about the fact that I'm not going to want to forgive that person. And so what does S do? S represses that. You know, God made us so that we can do that. Why did God make it that I could know something, but it's painful, I don't want to think about it, and so I can stuff it? You know, God actually did that as a favor to humanity. Can you imagine a World War II concentration camp person, victim? Or a Vietnam war vet who is tortured, or a child who is sexually abused every night, if every day of their life they had to be consciously aware of that. See, God gave us the gift to right? Repress these painful experiences. The problem is humanity can do it when they shouldn't. And so that person who knows they're not forgiving this person, they may hear a sermon, they may be in prayer, they may go to a therapist, and all of a sudden they just, ah, it all comes out. Yeah, I know I'm not forgiving. I know it's not... Or it all comes out, you know, I know I'm neglecting my wife. I know I'm doing that. And so the question here, and this is for, this is number three, for evangelism and apologetics. The evangelism or the apologetic encounter is a kind of form of therapy therapy with self-deception. When I'm dealing with an unbeliever, and it's especially when it's clear that causes are at work, 
I know I'm dealing with self-deception. That person knows that God exists, but knowledge of God exists. It's painful, and so what is he doing? Just like Paul, he represses the truth. And so my task is just like that therapist's task is to bring out the heart of that person, right? So here's a guy, sorry, this will be you. Here's a guy who's neglecting his wife. I think that's your, you know, your wife, I don't know. Anyways, here's a guy who's neglecting his wife, doesn't want to admit it, and now in the fourth session of therapy, he breaks down and cries, yeah, I know, I know I'm, and, and he won't say, this is the first time I'm aware I'm neglecting my wife. He's gonna say, I know it, I've known it. I just didn't want to deal with it. It's exactly what it is for belief in God. This person knows that God exists. Knowledge of God, it's painful because it's guilt. I've got to change my life. I've got to give my life to God. I don't want to do any of that stuff. And so I stuff it. And so when I came to the Lord at 18, I did not say, oh, this is the first time I know God exists. No, I came to the Lord and said, God, this is my prayer. God, I've always known you're there. And I just didn't want you. Oh, God. And then I accepted Christ. So thus, the answer to repression, this, this just, you know, really underline this bullet under three. This is apologetics for causes. The answer to repression is to develop therapeutic triggers to assist others in lowering their defenses. What are you going to do to open their heart so they will let go of just holding on to this and stuffing it? What are you going to do to open their heart to this? So apologetics is a form of therapy for self-deception. How can I help release them from that deception and open them to looking at what's going on? And so in number four, I say apologetics is really a form of heart surgery. Apologetics is a form of heart surgery when you deal with causes. Remember, you can write down, I didn't, Proverbs 4.23. says, guard over your heart, right? guard over that heart. The heart is the core of you. It's where your thoughts your will and your emotions mingle. Guard over your heart with all diligence because out of it come all the issues of life. You can bet for the unbeliever in the heart there are so many things that you're going to have to help them guard over. And so in A, I say the apologist must be aware specifically of what the Bible calls the hidden heart because there's so much in that hidden heart. This is Proverbs 14, 13. It says this, even in laughter, see, even on the surface, a person's laughing, laughing, the heart may be in pain. There's always more going on in the soul, and the end of that experience may be grief, right? Like I can imagine a little child that we were involved with foster parenting. He never saw his, you know, his mom and dad, all this stuff going on in his life. And if that child's swinging on a swing, all that has to do is his friend say, hey, why don't you and your dad come to the Dodger game with us? That's the L.A. Dodgers, for those who don't know. And all of a sudden, just that word dad changes everything. Because in the heart, there's pain about dad. And so here, this proverb is, is fulfilled. The end of joy is now grief, because in a moment, swinging on the swing, it's become a painful experience. Well, you can bet 
For the unbeliever, there's stuff in the heart. It may be anger at God. It may be fear of God. It may be, I don't want to change. Notice, I don't want. That's a desire. It may be anger at his parents, anger at the church. So there's all kinds of stuff going on in the heart. And so here I'm talking with an unbeliever, and we're having a fun old time. Everything's great. And all I do is mention the word God. And it just, it just pops. Because, see, they've repressed it. It's in the heart. It's in the hidden heart. Even in laughter, we were having a good time. The heart may be in pain. That stuff's just now going to come out. It'll change the whole conversation often. Sometimes I've just mentioned Jesus Christ about it, and, man, I just get up, like, whoa, where'd that one come from? The anger. And so, number one, there's always more going on under the surface in the heart than we're often aware of. A lot going on in the heart of the unbeliever. Number two, the degree to which there are these negative, unresolved issues with God and the church, that's moving their will to not believe. Just like my mom with wishful thinking. These are people whose passions are moved. I don't want to believe. And so, number three, the task of the apologist is to peel the heart of the unbeliever, to make the implicit explicit, to bring out the heart. B, and and here's where I kind of uh, want to finish. This is the role of what we call erotetic apologetics. That's not erotic, by the way. If you you saw that, then you need therapy. But no, no, this is just from the Greek erotao, which is to ask a question. This is apologetics that involves questions. Apologetics, by the way, is not just giving people answers. Erotetic apologetics is apologetics that asks questions. See, before you speak into somebody's life, you know what you need to do? You need to first ask questions to get to know them. And the first thing you want to get to know is, what do they believe? You know, when I have actually asked fellow colleagues, you know, at places I worked before Biola, what they believe, I think I was the first person who ever asked them that. And as they're bringing out their beliefs, I usually find it's this disordered, disheveled set of beliefs. You are doing them a favor to see what on earth do I believe. Don't be defensive about that. But you know what especially you want to do? You want to get to know people well enough so that you can begin to peel back their heart. As I look at the way God does this, what opens up defenses more than anything else? There are two things I've seen in my life. In people's life, the first thing is trials. Trials and suffering is what usually opens the hearts of unbelievers. Now, that doesn't mean you should go slash their tires to give them a trial. (laughs) Although that's a thought, but we probably shouldn't act on that. That's up to God. The second thing that it looks like what opens hearts is love and acceptance. Is you being that agent of love and acceptance so that person finally feels like, I've got someone who really cares and listens, where now they'll begin to unfold their heart. That's why most people who come to the Lord come to the Lord through families and closest friends. Because people have such a deep desire to share the depths of their heart, but they're so defensive. And ultimately, ultimately, we need to speak the gospel clearly. 
I've, I've ended some apologetic encounters, and I realize we're going nowhere, and I just realize, you know, I, I still want to leave them the gospel. And I say, hey, look, you know, there's a lot going on here. I'm not sure you really want to follow this discussion, but I tell you what, when you go home tonight, in the quiet of your heart, it's just you in the bed, just you in the universe, just, just open. open. No, turn off the lights first, make it dark, and just open, God, do you exist? Because we, we want to leave them with that this is ultimately an issue they have to come to grips with. And so I just say, when you are encountering an apologetic evangelistic experience, just ask, God, is it reasons or causes? What's going on here? What's going on? And ask God for wisdom of how to address that person. Let's close in prayer. Our Father, we, we come to you, and God, I, I do ask that you would give these people wisdom to know when there are reasons and causes for unbelief. Help them to be wise, rational, and therapeutic apologists. I want you just to now take that person that you had in mind and just ask the Lord, God, what's going on in that person? Are there reasons for unbelief? Is it causes? Lord, what's going on? Just open your heart to that person. And you might just ask the Lord, God, how can I provide some triggers to open their heart? God, how could I open that heart or open that mind in just the simple way I can do? I just want to say if there are any people here where you have not come to a place to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, maybe you've heard something and maybe something's going on in your mind and your heart, I want, I want that. I want to know Christ. I want to know forgiveness. I, I want to come out of hiding. I, I really want this, Lord then you can just tell God right now, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Forgive my sins. Lord Jesus, forgive me. And Lord, I accept the gift of your death on the cross for my life. I accept that. If you prayed that prayer, if you're open to that, Share it with another person before you leave today or you can come share with me. Lord, above all, take your servants here, your people, your believers. Search our heart. Lord, take us on the spiritual formation journey of letting you search our heart so that we will know how to do that with others. And we won't be afraid of seeing hearts and we'll have empathy. Lord, bless this community. What an incredible thing of all these folk coming to understand more deeply the gospel of the Lord Jesus and its impact on earth. Bless them. Bless this conference and just this whole, uh, whole society here of apologetics in Canada. Bless them in Jesus' name.